together in one room, we can celebrate that truth, that as the world around us moves and changes, as circumstances come at us faster than we can handle, our hope is built truly on nothing less than Jesus. It's that truth that gives us hope for a future, it gives us hope in despair, it gives us hope in the midst of hard times. So exactly as we study through psalms together as a church and we study how to praise God in hard times, we are singing that truth together right now, that truly there is no other foundation that we should be built on, no other hope that we can look to but Jesus. And that should be encouraging to us today. Let's sing.
giants come calling my name. My God is so much better than troubles I
praise him that he does move mountains. Amen. All right. Hey, as we pray this morning, you can go ahead and clear your throat. It's okay. Because I know how it is. Hey, this morning we are going to pray, and uh, we're going to pray to the God we've just been singing to and declaring all of this truth to and about. And so this morning we're going to be praying to the Lord about, specifically about our nation. You know, we've got problems in our nation. We always have. We've always had problems in our country. Uh, but you know what? We talk about revival. We talk about spiritual awakening, and that does not happen in America without the church being revived and the church experiencing the manifest presence of God. Amen. That's what God wants to do in us and through us. We want to pray for our nation this morning, and we want to ask the Lord to, uh, to move among us. You know, we're thankful that God has put Central Baptist Church in the United States of America. We are a blessed nation, and we are a blessed church to be able to have the freedom to worship the way we do and the way we have just been singing this morning freely. I can take you to many countries around the world where that right there was just illegal. And yet, we have the freedom to come into this room and worship the way that God has blessed us to be able to worship Him. And so this morning, you know, we want to pray and we want to ask the Lord to put His hand of favor upon our country and put His hand of favor upon our church um, as we continue to do ministry. You know, the Bible says for us, you know, the Apostle Paul said that we were to pray, um, to lift up um, our country, to lift up our government, to lift up our governing leaders. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, first of all, I urge then that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God and our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what I want to remind us this morning of is this. We know that we have dual citizenship. We're citizens of America, but we are citizens of heaven. You know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 29, God's people were sent into exile. They weren't following him. God put them back into slavery. And there in Jeremiah chapter 29, um, God, the Lord himself, wrote to the exiles, those who were living through a land of sojourning, through a land on their way back to the promised land. You and I have not reached our promised land yet. But listen to what he says. He says, but seek the welfare of the city, wherever you are, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, in its where, on its where, welfare, for its welfare, for you will find your welfare there. And so God says to us to pray for our nation, to pray for our communities, to pray for our government, to pray for um, our people uh, called the United States. Let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to put his hand of favor upon us. God, as we just come to you this morning, we thank you, Lord, just for the beauty of music. We can come into this room and sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs to you, Lord. We can sing multiple generations. We can sing great hymns of the faith. We can sing new spiritual songs. We can sing new hymns, Lord. And God, as we sing these songs collectively to you, we sing them, Lord, not just uh, to hear ourselves sing, but we sing them to you. As Father, we want to praise you and we want to worship you out of a heart of gratitude, out of a heart, Lord, of praise. God, we, be we believe in you this morning. We thank you this morning 
for the love that you have poured out upon us, for the faithfulness that you've extended to us through generation after generation. We're grateful to know you. We're grateful to be, Lord, together in this place with you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that for those of us in this room who've trusted in Jesus Christ, who are following Christ first and foremost in our life, Holy Spirit, you live in us as individuals, and you unite us together. No matter what ages, no matter what race, no matter what socioeconomic background, God, we are here collectively as one because you have made us one. God, we are grateful for that. We're grateful for that truth. We're grateful for that understanding. God, it's in that space. It's in that relationship that we have with you. We come to you and confess our sins to you. We come to you, Lord, and repent of sin in our own hearts and in our own lives. God, we have individual things in our life, Lord, that we need to deal with you about. God, we all do. And Lord, we just confess these things to you. We talk to you about them even now, Lord, as individuals. Somehow, some way, you hear us, you listen to us. God, as we come to you and pray these things to you and talk to you about these matters that are important to you because, Lord, they're in our hearts. Ways in which we've, Lord, just drifted from you. We just collectively tell you that we repent of any sin in our hearts. And we turn back to you, God. Because, God, you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our obedience. You're worthy of our time. You're worthy, God, of the allegiance that, God, we give to so many other things in this world that are so temporary. But you are eternal. You created us. You brought us into this world. One day, Lord, we'll step from this life into eternity. And some of us, Lord, will step into eternity to face you, Lord, into heaven. Some will, Lord, step into, from this life into the next, to a place called hell. Lord, we know and understand eternity is there. It's on the horizon. We just don't know how far or how long it is. But we know it's there for all of us. God, we worship you this morning. God, as we come to you in prayer, we pray for America. God, we are so blessed to be in the United States of America. Thank you, Lord, that we understand we are part of a country, that we're part of a nation that, Lord, has been blessed by you for many, many years. No matter what we've experienced in the fractions, fractures of our country, Lord, we know and understand that you have continued to give us freedom, and you've blessed us with that. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for our government, our national government. We pray for President Biden. We pray for Congress. We pray for the Supreme Court. We pray, Father, for our state and local governments. We pray for President Abbott, or for Governor Abbott. We pray, Father, for all those... Of, officials that are in positions around us, from Congress to our local representatives. We pray for our government, God, that your hand would be upon it. We pray that you would steer our government because it impacts our lives in so many tangible ways that sometimes we don't understand or see. But Lord, that you would steer our government toward the things that matter to you. That regardless, Lord, whether our government officials love you or not, to God, your will would be done in the sense that you would, Lord, turn us back to you. We pray as well, Lord, just for our nation, that you would unite our nation. We are fractured in so many ways. But Lord, unite us around the things that are worthy to be united around. 
the things that matter to you, our character, how we treat people, how we love people, how we extend mercy and grace to one another. Lord, how we treat one another, how we love one another. These are character qualities, Lord, we've learned from you. They do not exist apart from you. You created us in your image. And so, God, would you do this work in us, and would you do it through us? Lord, would you bring about healing in our nation in the areas that need healing? Lord, at the same time, God, would we be a nation that stands for truth? Because there is truth. Truth exists only because of you. We are not a nation apart from you. We are not a people apart from you, for we were created by you, and this country was created by you, and it is created for you, to glorify you. It isn't for ourselves. It isn't for the, the betterment of our, of our world. It is for you. And so, Lord, would we remember that? Would we press into that? Would we pray towards that? Lord, would you bless our nation, and would you put your hand of favor upon it? Lord, we know that the greatest need our country has is for Jesus Christ. For Lord, every person in this planet or this, in this country to know and understand who you are, God, to understand our sin, to understand our need for Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord, and for us to be able to and willing to walk towards you, to press into you, to follow you as Lord and Savior of our lives. So Lord, we know that is our greatest need. It isn't money. It isn't a better government or a different president or anything of that nature. God, it is you. We need more of you. And so this morning, we just pray that, Lord, you would put your hand upon the church in America. For, Lord, we need to be healthy. We need to be pressing towards you. We need to be loving you and you alone in our lives. We need to be pursuing you with our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength. God, we need a renewed sense of your Holy Spirit among us in our, as Christians and as our churches. God, would you do your work among us? Would you bring about spiritual renewal in our churches? Would you bring revival in our churches? For, Lord, the only hope that this country has is for the church of the living God, your church that you created, to, Lord, be passionate and in love with you more. For, Lord, we are the ones that change America because we have the Spirit of God, your Spirit living in us. And so, God, would you do your work in us? Would you do your work in the churches in America? Would you give us a passion for your mission, a passion for prayer, a passion for the things that matter to you, a passion for truth and a passion for your word, no matter what the culture says, no matter how our culture changes and shifts? And Lord, when we are pursuing you with our lives, Lord, yes, there will be challenges. There will be challenges to us but we will not just stand on the side of truth. We will stand for something that transforms human lives, transforms communities, transforms governments, transforms school districts, transforms the, 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 the rage and the fractures of how people treat one another and look at one another, Lord. That is the answer. It has always been the answer. It was the answer in the Old Testament. It was the answer in the New Testament. It is the answer here today. And so we believe in that this morning. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to you, once again, we turn our attention to your word. Because God, you have a word for us this morning that you want to share with us. I pray that God, you would open our hearts and our minds, our eyes, our ears. Give us receptive hearts. As Lord, we're here today because we love you and we love your word. And your word is the most important voice 
in our life. It's not a matter of what we read or listen to or see. God, you and you alone are what matters most. So God, open our hearts and our minds. God, give us the courage to respond to what you say to us this morning. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Hey, listen, thanks for those of you who came out yesterday. We had a great morning of, uh, of going into our community, inviting people to Vacation Bible School. It is one week from, to, from tomorrow, isn't that hard to believe? And so we were out in our community, went to some neighbor, neighborhoods, met some folks, put some door hangers on doors, inviting people to Vacation Bible School. Thanks for those of you who came and uh, continue to pray and invite people to VBS starting a week from tomorrow. It's going to be a great week. Hey, listen, uh, look at your Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm 57. The this this series, a little short series that we're doing this summer, is that we're looking at how to praise God, how to worship God in hard times, okay? You know, the Bible tells us that we always are always going to have hard times and difficult times. David certainly had his fair share of hard times and challenges. He went through a lot. He went through a range of, of, of situations. He saw experienced victory in his life, but he also experienced failures in his life, which we saw a week ago. David himself in the Old Testament experienced the brokenness of sin and the repentance of sin in his own personal life, and then he tasted the sweetness of forgiveness and redemption. And that's what we should and ought to experience in our own personal lives as well. David went through a tremendous amount of emotions as he experienced a tremendous amount of, of circumstances in his life. When you read First and Second Samuel, you know and understand that David was a man who was a young boy that God came to and anointed as the next king of Israel. He took over for Saul. He was the second king of Israel minus Saul. Saul had chosen to go against God, chosen to follow his own path, and God says, okay, I'm going to reject you, Saul, and I'm going to anoint this young boy, unexpected individual named David. David was the anointed king of Israel that was the future king of Israel, but Saul still sat on the throne. If you know the story, then you know that Saul understood this deep down. He knew and understood that God had rejected him. He knew that he could do nothing, although he tried to fix things, because that's what we try to do. We try to fix our problems. He tried to fix his himself. He tried to fix his problem. God had already turned his face away from him and turned it towards this young man named David. And so what happened in Saul's life is Saul began to have this incredible and insatiable jealousy towards David. He started to go against David. He started to try to do really irrational things towards David. In fact, one day, David's walking through the palace there because David was in Saul's good graces. He had a seat at the table, but there is Saul, and he picks up a spear in his jealousy and rage, and he throws it at David to try to kill him. David ducks and misses. The, 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 the uh, spear misses David, and David runs. If you know the story that once Saul is out of the picture, fast forward through First and Second Samuel, David then rises up to be the king of Israel. But you know what happens in David's life now that Saul's out of the picture. He's long gone. But now David is the king of Israel. He's sitting on the throne. But guess what happens? One of his sons, Absalom, decides one day he's going to start a coup and go after his dad. It takes over the throne, runs his dad and his faithful followers out of Jerusalem, and now Absalom is going to take over. God had not anointed Absalom. God had not told Absalom he was going to be king, but 
this is what happens. And so all of these scenarios, all of these stories, this is David, a man after God's own heart. This is David, a man who is pursuing God. This is David who is really in, in love with the Lord in his life, and yet he's going through all of these experiences. What gives? What's going on in David's life? He goes through a range of emotions. And the beauty is this, that when we look at the Psalms, we understand that, God, that David did not turn to himself. He didn't turn to anger. He didn't turn to friends and family members that looked at him and said, you deserve better than this. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. No, David continued to press into the Lord, church. He pressed into the Lord. And the Psalms record almost David's personal spiritual journal, if you will. As he was reading and as he's praying to the Lord, as he's talking to the Lord, we see him crying out to God. We see him talking to the Lord about important matters in his life. We see him asking the Lord for help. We see him declaring faith in God through the Psalms, which is what we're doing this summer. We're looking at a few of these Psalms through the lens of David's struggles and suffering, pain, all of this injustice in his life. And yet David continued to worship the Lord. Maybe you've asked this, yourself this question, where is the Lord in a situation? You ever asked that question? Lord, where are you in this? Maybe you've prayed and you've cried out to the Lord. You've asked the Lord for help. You, you know, week after week, month after month. Maybe it's year after year. Maybe you're in the midst of that right now. You're asking the Lord for help in a particular matter in your life. Sometimes, listen, those enemies continue to surround you. You go to bed at night with that challenge. You go to bed at night with that antagonistic person. You go to bed at night with that memory or that problem that is weighing heavily on your mind or that antagonistic person's words that are still stuck in your mind. And you go to bed and you just can't wait to fall asleep so you can forget about it for a while only to wake up the next morning. Guess what? The problem's not gone away. The challenge hasn't gone away. So you go to bed at night with the problem. You wake up in the morning with the problem. You go to bed at night with the challenge. You wake up in the morning with the challenge. It does not seem to go away. Where is the Lord in the situation? Where is the Lord at work? I think our perspective sometimes is this. We tend to live when it comes to suffering, when it comes to pain, when it comes to things that we don't understand that are going on around us in the immediate. You and I can't see beyond the horizon of the problem. We can't see a scenario or a way out. And yet, at the same time, that's the perspective we have, the perspective that the Lord has in our life is that he does see beyond the horizon. In fact, the Lord sees both the past, the present, and the future. He also sees what kind of spiritual fruit he's about to bear in your life if you stick with him. He sees how the impact that this person or that person is going to, that, that he's going to have on those individuals by way of your suffering, by way of you being in the midst of that. And right here is where we are in the midst of that. Asking the Lord, where are you? What are you doing in my life? All the while, God's doing all of these incredible things around us. He's doing all of these incredible things in us. He's going to do all of these incredible things through us if we stick with him. This is what David's running through. This is, these are the emotions that David is trying to work through in his own individual life. He sees the past. The, the Lord sees the past. He sees the present. He knows the future. He does that in you. He is doing that here in David. 
You see, when you're surrounded by those who oppose you, and you will, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, may not be directly attached to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you will face people who oppose you. You will face sufferings and seasons of pain in your life. You can find joyful confidence in the Lord. Can I say that again to us this morning to encourage us? No matter what you face in your life, when you are surrounded by those who oppose you, you can have a joyful confidence in the Lord. You can. You know how I know you can? Because David did. Look at Psalm 57 with me this morning. I'm going to read it for us today. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, David says. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O Lord, among the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the, the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, among the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. If you look back at the introduction, if you will, of Psalm 57, look at your notes at the beginning of the psalm. What does it say? This is a psalm of David when he what? Fled from Saul in the cave. You've got to understand where David is. He's in the middle of a cave as he's praying to the Lord. He's in the middle of a cave as he's dealing with and running from the threats of Saul himself. But listen, when you are surrounded by those who oppose you, you can have a joyful confidence in the Lord. The psalm breaks down into two very simple declarations that I want to point to you this morning that you can take home in your own personal life when you are surrounded by those who oppose you, when you are surrounded by that challenge in your life. Listen, every day, listen, number one, you can pray with confidence. You can pray with confidence. This is what David does. He prays with confidence. David's circumstances were difficult. In fact, he points it out. Look at verse 1 with me again. He points out how difficult his circumstances are by, by way of three phrases that I want to point out to you. Look at verse 1. He is in the midst of storms, the storms of destruction there in verse 1. Look at how he's being trampled on in verse 3. He describes it as being trampled on. Right there in the middle of the verse, he will put to shame him who tramples on me. But also in verse 4, he's surrounded by enemies. He's surrounded by lions and fiery beasts. So all of this is pointing to how he feels. All of this is pointing to how he ex what kind of experience he's having in his own personal life. It's how not only he feels, but what he sees. And it's not just this fake kind of emotion that he has. This is reality for him. David finds himself 
without any kind of ability to fix the problem on his own. He is surrounded by people who want to kill him. He is being trampled on or feels as though he's being trampled on. He has this storm of destruction that is weighing heavily on his life. This is a time that is not joyful for David. This is a time where he experiences and feels oppressed in his own life. This is a time when he seems and feels out of place. Everything he's hearing, everything he's seeing screams danger. Everything he sees and feels screams threats. He cannot think straight in the sense that he cannot think about any other ulterior outcome of this. He's outside of the daily rhythms of his life. Listen, you and I have rhythms in our lives. Like you know what you're doing this afternoon already, most of you do. Some of you tomorrow morning know what you're going to do. You're, maybe you're going on a trip for the 4th of July this week. But you and I have rhythms, daily rhythms. You get up and you have your cup of coffee and you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that. And then all of a sudden, wham, something happens in your life that takes you out of that rhythm. Do you feel comfortable? No, you don't. Sometimes when it's really difficult or maybe it's a challenge or maybe it's a a personal uh, attack upon your life or upon your family, upon your marriage or upon you as an individual or one of your children, you you sense this this pressure, this stress, this Sometimes danger, this sometimes threat. This is where David is. He's not in the palace anymore. He's sitting in a cave. David's not in a place where he's comfortable. David is not in a place where he he understands and is familiar with his surroundings that he's necessarily comfortable in where he's at. David's in a place where he's not joyful. David's in a place where there is loneliness, where there is discouragement. If you've been there, understand that David has been there. When you're reading this psalm, understand that this is where David is here in verse 1. But there, notice his posture. Because he's not just in this moment. He's not just experiencing these circumstances, but notice the posture that he begins to take. It's a posture of protection, if you will, in his prayer life. Because you see, David in these first few verses is praying to the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord. He's talking to the Lord about the the matter that is at hand, the matter that is weighing on his heart. But the posture he takes is this posture of protection. He cries out for mercy. Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God. Look at the second time he uses the word, be merciful. He's asking the Lord to be merciful towards him. It is a request. Lord, show kindness towards me. Lord, Lord, I don't deserve this, but but would you move into my life? Would you give me relief from the enemies around me? Listen, what's natural in our life? What's natural in our life is drift. We drift into this place of self-reliance oftentimes in our life. We we, we drift into being self-dependent upon ourselves and upon us to figure out our situation. But when the Lord or sometimes something happens in our life that pulls the rug out from underneath us, what do we tend to do? Either we press into ourselves and try to fix things our way, or we go to the Lord and say, God, have mercy on me because I have no idea what to do here. I got no idea where to go. I have no idea what to say. I don't know what my next move is supposed to be. God, this cry of mercy David has towards God in those moments. Sometimes the Lord doesn't take it away. He doesn't take it away. David needs God's intervention. He needs God to move in this. Which is why he says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. 
It's a cry of mercy, but watch how he turns to this confident understanding of who God is. Because look, watch what happens here. Look at the verse with me again in verse 1. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. He's not asking for this. He is saying this is going to happen. There is a sense of crying out for mercy, but then there is this, this, this confidence, this overwhelming confidence that he sees in his own life. He thinks about the Lord. Listen, folks, you need to think about the Lord in these moments. Think about who he is. Think about what he has projected himself towards you to be. When you open your Bible and you read about who the Lord is and how he's reminded, him, reminded us of who he is, how he's revealed himself to us, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, God reveals himself to us through his names, through the ways that he has moved, through the beauty of how he has worked and moved in challenging seasons of life in the lives of people that he loves. He thinks about David, thinks about the Lord. Notice what he does and what he says here in verse 1. For in you my soul takes refuge... In the shadow of your wings, he thinks of the Lord as this, 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 this mama bird, if you will, with the, the wings over David, this refuge, this place of refuge. He, he knows and understands that the Lord, very in verse 2, I cry out to God most high. He knows God is in control. He knows God is sovereign. He knows God is over all things. He knows God is above all things, and he knows God is above everything David is experiencing in his personal life because he doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand where this is all going, but he knows God is his place of refuge. He knows God is the most high. He thinks about the Lord He begins to understand that this cave is not this place of refuge for him. It is the Lord that is the place of refuge because the true protection of the Lord is not found in the cave, but it is found in the the Lord, in the presence, in the manifest presence of the Lord in the cave, and that gives David rest. I mean, look at what David says in verse 3. He will sin. He starts preaching to himself. He will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He turns to the Lord and he reminds himself of who the Lord is. And he prays with this assurance. Therefore, he will sleep well. Because the Lord is on his side. He knows that the Lord is on his side. And so he begins to tell himself that. He preaches to himself about this. God loves him. You see that there in verse 3? Into verse 4, God loves him. God has steadfast love. God is a God who is faithful in the midst of this. His circumstances didn't change. God didn't take away the cave. God didn't take away Saul from running after him, from hunting him down to kill him unjustly. But somewhere in, this, in the midst of this, he finds rest. He finds joy. I love what 1 John chapter 5 tells us. Because John reminds us of these verses in verse 14 and 15. It says this. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have or have asked of him. Listen, it is okay to pray for protection from enemies. It's okay to pray for protection from those who seek to oppose you, those who are, or surround you with opposition. But never pray to God with fear or doubt in your heart. 
Because you and I cannot see beyond the horizon. You can't see beyond the struggle that you're in. You cannot see beyond the, the situation you find yourself in. You can't see beyond that antagonistic person or that group of individuals that continue to oppose you and surround you. But the Lord can. And so you don't need to see the, beyond the horizon because what God has done is he has given you so much more to rest in. Just read your Bibles and look in terms, in terms of how many people and how many situations that God showed up. The beauty of the, the word of God for you and I is this. You and I have a copy of what has happened among God's people throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. You and I see, we're, we parachute into these stories sometimes, but we can't feel the stories sometimes. We parachute into these kind of situations where we, we're all of a sudden in the midst of these scenarios where we're reading black and white ink on a page, but we don't feel or we're not experiencing the emotions that these individuals are experiencing. What you and I have are the stories, but we also have the, the context, and we also have the background. We also have the outcome. We see what God does. We see what, how God has moved. We see how God has glorified himself, maybe in sometimes hundreds of years from that moment. That ought to encourage you, because there's one thing about the Lord that he reminds us of, consistency. He is consistent as all get out. He does not change yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who created the heavens and the earth in Genesis is the same God who is at work right here, right now, in this room of which we're talking about. He is consistent. How he works and how he moves and how he is on the side of his people, how he works and moves when he's on the side of those who are righteous, way thousands of years before ago is the same way he is on the side of the righteous now. He is at work. So you have scripture, but you also have others. You have people around you that you've seen God work in. You have friends, and you have family members, and you have acquaintances, and you read stories, and you read books about great men and women of faith, and students who walked with Jesus, and how they were in the midst of struggles, and yet God delivered them. God worked. God moved, and he brought about his glory. And all of that surrounding you preaches to you consistently that God is consistent. Therefore, you can pray with confidence that the Lord is on your side, that the Lord is at work, that the Lord is moving. You see, this whole life is called hope. This is all about hope. You and I can't see the horizon. That's why it's called hope. We hope for something that is greater than this. But we don't hope with doubt in our hearts. We hope with this confident assurance that God is going to work, that God is going to move. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul is writing in Romans chapter 8. I love these verses. I mean, what an incredible chapter just to read and to meditate on, to think about, to pray through. Verse 18 says, for I consider that, the, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time, let's think about the perspective that he has, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 23 says this, on down in that passage, he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the, are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for, we, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, 
And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God are all those work together for good. God is at work. God is at work for those who belong to him, for those who follow him. And God is at work in the heart of David. You can pray with confidence. But not only can you pray for conf- with confidence, you can sing with confidence. This is where David is. He's prayed with confidence. Now he sings with confidence. Look at the psalm with me again. Look at verse 6 with me again. This verse 6, there's kind of a shift. There's another section here. What, da- what David does is he's prayed to the Lord with confidence. Now he's going to sing with confidence. He says, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. Did David's circumstances change? I mean, did he have enough faith that somehow he garnered up enough faith that somehow, some way, like these preachers you sometimes see on TVs tell you, that if you just have enough faith, your problems will go away? Did David's problems go away? No. Saul's still on the hunt. Saul's Saul still with his, with his soldiers coming after David. This isn't about the problems going away. This wasn't about the circumstances going away. This was about David's God and the position that David's mind was in relation to God. And his reminder of his own heart that God was in control. God was at work in his life. Now, I think about these things that David writes to us. We remind ourselves of Psalm 23. We know this psalm, but what does he promise? What does David say? He says, though I walk through what? The valleys of the shadow of death. This is the reality in our lives. This is the reality of those who follow him, who pursue him in our life. We will walk through these valleys of the shadow of death. It appears, always appears, that the wicked are gaining ground. It always appears that evil is winning the day. Just turn your TV on. It always appears that everything's falling apart. In your own personal life, when you're opposed, when people are surrounding you and oppose you, when people are coming at you, it always appears that they are at work and they're going to win the day. Because you feel it. Because you feel the struggle. You feel the pain. You feel the the suffering in the moment. But God is at work. David understood that God was at work. Sometimes it appears as though the the wicked are winning, but that's not reality. Because look at what David says to himself. He says, my heart is, or he he begins to say, they set a net for my steps. Look at the other phrase. They dug a pit in my way. Looks like they're winning. But look at verse 6 also again. It says, my soul was bowed down, but they have fallen into it themselves. The Lord always wins. He's always at work. David's heart went from praying to praising. David's heart went from praying to singing to the Lord. Because he was surrounded by the presence and the power of God. His heart was tested. His life's being tested. But he's also growing in the midst of this. His concrete confidence and joyful confidence in the Lord is continuing to grow, and he can't see it. He doesn't even know it fully yet. 
But what God's doing in his heart and in his life is he's, he's, he's transforming David. He's growing David. And what does David do? We see it happen here because he remembers and he understands that, 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 that God is at work, that, the, that although the wicked are appearing that those, as though they are winning, God is going to win the day. And so David's heart begins to change. And notice what happens in verse 7. My heart is what? Steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. His heart becomes steadfast. It is ready. It is uh, uh, prepared. But not only does he grow steadfast, look at verse 7. He says, I will sing a make melody, begins to sing. He begins to tell himself, hey, wake up. Wake up, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I'm going to start singing a new song because I now trust the Lord. I've prayed through the matter. I've asked the Lord about the matter. I remembered who God is in the midst of this, and therefore now I'm going to sing to the Lord. I'm going to have this joyful confidence even though my circumstances have not changed. Even though nothing has changed in my situation, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to sing to the Lord, even if it's out of tune. Saul's still hunting him down, but he understood that it was not the cave that gave him assurance. It was not the cave who gave him protection. It was the Lord who surrounded him that gave him that assurance, that gave him that protection. He's just hiding in a cave. But God's at work. God has surrounded him. And so his heart is steadfast. He begins to sing, but watch this. He wants to testify to the nations, not just to the Israelites, but to the Gentiles. I mean, look at what it says in verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. It has always been about the nations. God has a love not just for David. God has a love not just for Saul. At one point, God does not just love the Israelites. God has loved the nations of the world. God has loved the Gentiles of the world. God has loved loved us. I mean, think about what we're going to read, if you, if you read later on down the line in Psalm 96, just think about these words, powerful words. Psalm 96, verse 1, I'll sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the heaven. If you look down at verse 11 of that verse, of that psalm, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord who, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. It has always been about the Lord. When, sur- when you are surrounded by those who oppose you, you can have a joyful confidence in the Lord. How? Because you can appeal to the very same thing that King David appealed to. Did you notice the phrase twice? Because at the end of both of these sections, he says this phrase when he talks about him, when he thinks about the Lord. He's appealing, he's praying, and he's singing because of this appeal that he is making to. He has appealed to the very same thing about God. At the end of verse 3, God will send out his, what? Steadfast love and his faithfulness. Oh, look down at verse 10. For your, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Listen, church. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 says this very word to us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end never come to an end. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know about God, David has shared it with us this morning. He is a God of steadfast love and he is a God of faithfulness. 
And we remind ourselves of these things because David reminds himself of these things. Sometimes in your life, you're going to experience, and your heart's going to experience some pain, some loneliness, some suffering, some grief, from some, some discouragement, some fear. But the Lord reminds you that his love never ceases and his faithfulness never goes away. Oh, this God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. Because when you begin to read your New Testament, you will understand that you are met by God who loves you even in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of your brokenness. Even though you're cut off from him, he loves you so much that he sends his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save you. Because his steadfast love never ceases. There isn't anything in your life that you've done that cuts you off from God, that, 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 that is too far away for God to not reach down into your life and save you from nothing, because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Jesus Christ comes into this world. He dies a death that you and I do not deserve. He goes to the cross, he bleeds, and he, his body is broken. Not for some self-help belief that we, we put our faith in, some kind of false belief or false faith. No, Jesus actually did that. God actually did that for you and I so that we could surrender our lives over to him, that we could turn away from ourselves that, that is failing, that will always fail, our broken relationships, our broken self, our sinful selves, and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ because his steadfast love never ceases. His faithfulness is always there. God is at work and he is faithful in every way. It is the same in sin. It is the same in life. I love what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 because the Bible describes, or Hebrews says, that Jesus is our high priest. He does all of this. The God of the Old Testament, we see everything about God in the Old Testament manifested in Jesus Christ. He comes, he does this work in our lives. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive and find grace to help in time of need. You can't see the outcome. You can't see what's on the other side of the horizon. David couldn't see what was outside the cave. David couldn't see what was going to happen the next day. He didn't understand and fully understand what was going to be the outcome of Saul hunting him down, trying to kill him. He couldn't see outside of the cave, but God can, and God does, and he sees all of it because he is faithful and his steadfast love is there. He couldn't see outside of the cave, but he could see the Lord, and that's all that you need. It is all you and I need to sing with confidence. He will finish what he wants to do. He will finish what he has started. The Apostle Paul has already said this and said this many times in many ways, but he says this to the church in Thessalonica at the very end of his letter to them. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 23, now may the God of our peace, of peace himself, sanctify you completely, church. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. That's the word that he gave to the Thessalonian Christians because he wanted them to be reminded that God is a God who is steadfast love. He's a God who is faithful. He will fulfill everything he has started. Listen, you can pray with confidence. You can sing with confidence. Why? 
Because in the end, God gains the glory from your life. He gains the glory for your life. This isn't about David. This is not about you. You know that, right? You're suffering. Yeah, you have the feelings of the emotions and all of the difficulties of those who oppose you. Maybe when you step out in faith and you start to follow Jesus and all of a sudden things just begin to fall apart around you, this isn't about you. God is empathetic towards you. He loves you. He cares where you are. He knows you. But this is ultimately about his glory. Which is why David, at the end of these two sections, says just that. If you look at Psalm 57 again, I mean, look at what he says. Twice he makes this statement. Be exalted, O God, in verse 5, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. At the end, verse 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Life is about giving glory to God, whether you're in the palace or you're in the cave. It's about giving glory to God. God brought you into this world. He wants you to give him glory no matter what you're experiencing in your life. Whether it's the high or the low moments in your life, we glorify him with what is in front of us. So if we're in retirement or if we're in the workforce or we're raising kids or we're a young couple without kids or we're single in our life or we're a teenager in our life, no matter where you are in the season of life, you're called to give glory to God in every area of your life. No matter whether you're experiencing incredible joy in this holiday weekend or you go into the holiday weekend with a lot of sorrow and suffering and struggle, give glory to the Lord. Have confidence that the Lord's going to work it out. Do, he's going to do what he chooses to do. Listen, I had the privilege of listening to the story of a man in our church who experienced a few years ago an incredible challenge, an incredible difficulty in his life. I was just sitting and we were talking and the story came up and he began to tell me about how he went through this incredible trial in his life. One moment in his life he thought he was going to die. He was experiencing a tremendous amount of suffering and a tremendous amount of pain in his life and yet, I love the end of the story. At the end of the story, he just told me, he said, there was a moment when the Lord showed up. In the midst of that struggle, the Lord showed up. It wasn't as though he was immediately healed from what he had, but there was in his own heart and in his own mind this incredible, joyful confidence, the assurance that the Lord was there and the Lord was at work in that situation. The beauty is he's sitting in the room with us this morning. Because God worked in his life a few years ago, and God now has given him the perspective to look back on those years, to look back on that season, to look back on that situation, and to give glory to God. Because no matter whether you're in the cave or whether you're in the palace, God's called us to give glory to him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. You know, as we have a time of response. God is calling you and I to give glory to him. Maybe what he wants out of your life is just for you to trust him and just declare your trust in him. Listen, Christian, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is for you. He always has been. He wants to remind you this morning that he loves you and that he's faithful to you. No matter what you're experiencing in your life, you give glory to him.
So maybe just as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, as you pray, just talk to him. Just reassure your commitment to him. Maybe you've spiritually drifted a little bit in your life. Just pledge your trust in him again. Ask him to help you to bear testimony of his goodness, of his grace, just like David did to the nations, to people around you. Maybe that's what God wants you to do this morning. There are others in the room who haven't surrendered your life to Jesus yet. I want to give you the chance to do that at the end of our service, as we always do. The Bible tells us that God loves you. He always also tells us that we have a problem in our life, and that's our sin. You can't fix yourself, nor were you designed to fix yourself. You were designed to understand that you cannot fix yourself and that you and I need Jesus Christ or God himself to fix us, which is why God did send his son Jesus into your life and into this world. I can't promise you your life is all of a sudden going to go from zero to 100. Everything's going to be perfect in your life now. But I can assure you of this. He will give you an incredible peace. Enjoy your life. Not because of your problems that are fixed, but because of your real and true problem, which is your sin. That weight of guilt in your heart. That weight of guilt that's in your life. God will lift it if you surrender to him. So, I'm going to pray. And we're going to stand and sing. Whether God's been speaking to you about salvation or joining our church or being baptized and maybe called a ministry. I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but let me pray for you. And then we're going to stand and sing and you have the courage to come. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you teach us. We thank you for the words of David and what you did in David's heart and life and for recording it for us that we might follow you by faith, just like he did. We love you, Lord. Be with us now as we respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me and let's sing Psalm 23 together.
It's good to sing scripture back to the Lord, isn't it? You can be seated. You know, as we uh, close our service out this morning, we want to remind everyone to give faithfully, as we always do week to week, our tithes and our offerings. And so you can give um, as you leave here today, drop your offerings and your tithes in the boxes, or you can give online. Uh, You can drop it off, of course, our church office. But we're going to pray in a moment, and we're going to ask the Lord to bless our giving to him as an act of worship in just a moment. Um, A couple other quick announcements. I just want to remind us that, hey, listen, this summer, um, what we try to emphasize when we're doing ministry, you're serving in any ministry across our church, is opportunities for equipping. So we have two opportunities for you to grow in any area of ministry. One, we've done this before. We did it a couple years ago. It's in Houston. It's by one of our state conventions, our SBTC, and they have an incredible equip conference. There are over 200 breakouts. It's all lay people. There's like over 2,000 people there, and you're in very small groups in all of these different breakouts in every area of ministry in the life of the church. And I just want to encourage you to, do, to, uh, to take part in that. Um, you can let me know if you would like to be a part of that, or you can just sign up online yourself, and, but please let us know you're going. We did, a couple years ago, it's, it's here back in Houston this year at Sagemont Church down in Houston. A couple years ago, we had about 15, 20 of our folks that went down there for it. Um, it's a great, great conference, and I just cannot overemphasize enough um, how great it is. So I want to encourage you to take part in that. That's coming up in August. Also, later in August, our local association does a great equipping conference up in Lufkin called Impact. It's going to be at Southside up in Lufkin, and you can also go online and uh, register for that. That's toward the end of August as well, okay? So I want to mention those two opportunities for you to, to get equipped as we're starting a new ministry year going into the fall. Hey, listen, VBS is a week from tomorrow. So please be in prayer for VBS. And also we need you to register. So be in prayer for the event, but also register kids, your kids, your grandkids. Now's the time to invite your neighbors, okay? Neighbors and friends and family members. And if you need help, you need some kind of piece of material, you can see Ms. Francie or anyone who's serving in VBS and uh, they can help you get what materials you need to, uh, to hand off, okay, to them. You can register online, very simple, easy, and quick to do that. So that's coming up. So be in prayer for that. Tonight, we have an event called uh, Fellowship in Freedom, 6 o'clock over in the Family Center. We've got food planned. We've got some great music planned and uh, fellowship games, all of that good stuff. And that, don't forget, that's this afternoon, 6 o'clock uh, over in the Family Center. We're going to have a, a lot of fun together, okay? And then last but not least, we've got a couple things uh, coming up. First of all, before I mention the, uh, the M3 camp, um, we've got uh, a picnic in the park this Tuesday, helping out our faith ministry here locally in our area. And we've got some that are going to be a part of that. If you would like to help out with that, come see me right when the service is over, and I'll get you connected with the group that's going to be serving over there on behalf of our church at that event. It's a great event over in the park right here in town. Okay, now, M3 Camp, we've got 25 of our students, 6th through 12th grade, going tomorrow morning. So I need you to be praying for them fervently all week long, Monday through Friday. They'll be over at Highland Lakes 
uh, camp over on the other side of Austin near Spicewood um, on the Colorado River. So they're going to be suffering over there, but they're, they're going to have a lot of fun together. Uh, pray for spiritual fruit. I want you to see a very quick, short video highlighting last year, and we're going to have a word of prayer for those students as we uh, close out the service. So I have that kind of energy again, right? I know it's how some of y'all are thinking that out there, I'm sure. Hey, listen, uh, M3 stands for three words, uh, moment, movement, mission. And uh, those students are, uh, the, what I love about this particular camp, our kids have done it a couple years now, um, is it really intentionally focuses on the gospel, teaching and training students how to share their story and how to share the gospel and then setting them loose to share that gospel. And that's what the M3 camp is about. It's very intentional in the way they do things. So we do different things with our students, but the last couple of years we've done M3, and um, it's been good. So pray for our students, 25 of them. Also pray for the adult chaperones that are going, and that they'll be headed out early tomorrow morning. They'll be driving over that way. They'll be out until next Friday. Be in prayer for them this week, please, every single day. You know, there are some students over here that were saved a year ago at M3 camp. And so they've had a one year of being a Christian under their belt. They've been growing, being discipled, and they're excited to go back now and uh, continue to grow. So pray for the students that are going, uh, that God would, would move among our students, okay? I want you to stand with me, and we're going to have a quick word of prayer. And we're going to ask the Lord to bless our offering and our tithes, as well as our students. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and thank you for the time that we've had to worship you today. And God, as we leave here today, Lord, we pray that you would... Lead us to people who need Jesus Christ, your son, in this community, in our community. Wherever you send us, God, would you lead us to people who need Jesus. Um, Father, we thank you for the tithes and offerings we give to you. You've given us everything. And God, as we give back to you just a portion of money, possessions that we have, we ask that you would use them, multiply them, Lord, uh, in our community, through our church, and around the world to make disciples. God, that's to, to, end, to that end we want to give to you, Lord, this morning. And we pray for our students. We ask God for your hand of anointing and blessing to be upon our adults, but also our students. Bring about spiritual freedom in their lives. Continue to help them to grow in their faith in your son, Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. So when I find